This person has made a big impact on our life. Have really learned a lot from her. All right, somebody get me out of here. <laughs> no, we've had our own little counseling in this whole thing. This has been quite the counseling session. <laughs> I hope you've learned a lot. We've definitely benefited from this. <laughs> you see we. Did you see that? Yeah, uh, and I just said we. Love or work. Welcome to the Love Work Podcast. This is Jeff. And I'm Andre. And we are on chapters three and four. We're digging right in. We got two friends here, Adam Thomason and Jonathan Rich. Yeah. Introduce them. These are your buddies oh, and boy. you invited. And, you know, I was just here for the conversation. Meanwhile, they destroyed our book. Oh, so this, this is, like is going to be a good one, guys. You're going to love it because they disagree with us. They don't like our premise. They're questioning our research. Like, who are these guys? <laughs> who invited these guys? You did. Adam is like, honestly, I, the only way I can introduce him is he's like world's most interesting man. He uh, is an author. He's has businesses. He's a pastor. He's uh, creative. creative. He has a film company. He just keeps launching these things that he, he has created some amazing things and a uh, good friend. And then also Jonathan Rich. Jonathan is a real estate agent on a baseline, has a really incredible business in Atlanta and has a bicycle company. And they are, both of these guys, they get involved in all these things. They're big dreamers. They both are big dreamers and great friends. So we let them read our book and then we should have expected nothing less, but they came in and picked it apart. <laughs> no, it was a great conversation. We are on chapters three and four. And a lot of uh, three is about the research, as y'all read. And then uh, chapter four is the three great loves. So we get into big conversation about purpose. We get into a lot of the conversation about what they disagreed slash agreed with with our research. I feel like I got a little defensive. But I felt like these guys were supposed to be on my side for this episode. <laughs> and then I get like, I don't know. Sometimes it's hard. I mean, as a Writing person a that creates things and then hearing what people disagree with, you're like, it's hard to not get defensive. But they say things that I need to learn from. Let's be crystal clear. Yeah. I don't think it's there's any need to get defensive. I think, you know, this is written in a place and a time a few years ago. With a specific lens. With a specific lens. And also, you know, you write what you know, which is where you're at with your story. And then you also have to choose a demographic and who you're writing to. And that's what anybody who tells you to write a book, they're like, pick your audience, choose your audience. And so you have to do that. Well, here's the thing. It's going to give you something to talk about with someone that you know. It's going to be it's going to be interesting. You're going to be like, ah, whose side? What do you think about this? What do you yes. think about this? It's going to cause you to kind of think a little bit. Yes. It just led to even greater questions. I think it'll lead to our conversation, more conversation for us. Yeah, let's get right to it. Here we go. We got Adam and Jonathan on chapters three and four. Well, we are here with two fine gentlemen. I'm the only lady in the room today. This is on great. This, one. I re- this is one going to be my favorite interview we've ever Last, done. <laughs> next time, <Yeah. laughs> next time, Jeff, you're going to be outnumbered because I'm going to mm-hmm. bring my ladies next time. But right now, for all you got- listeners, this is the moment that we've all been looking for: the male perspective. Oh my, <laughs> oh my god! I do not agree with y- that. If y'all think that <laughs> I'm not going to talk. 
and you think I'm going to be quiet. I don't know. All, all right, right. We're digging into chapters three and four. Let's start with chapter three, which is all about the research that we did. Jonathan, and, why don't you start with one of the things that jumped out at you from the research? Yeah. So, I mean, right out of the gate, when you've got basically everyone, 95% of couples, what was that the first couple pages of the chapter where you guys lay out? When you ask people this question, can you raise a family, have a career, chase your dreams, and have a healthy marriage? Um, 95% of people said yes. I just thought that was a super interesting statistic because you're basically, basically everyone is saying yes, it is. And yet, you know, half of all marriages end in divorce. So like what that says to me is there's a lot of people that are in it and they have a perspective when they're in it that might not be grounded in reality. You know, they're, they're hoping that it's true, right? They're hoping like it might be bad or it might be sideways or they might not be happy, but they're hoping they can be happy. And I just think, I don't know. I just thought that was super interesting or just a bunch of people lied to y'all. Well, it's an optimistic view, right? I mean, you're an optimist. But even as an optimist, that was surprising to me that that many people, because it's a complex question, that that many people were just like, yeah, totally, it can happen. Mm -hmm. What did you think about that high percentage, Adam? I felt it was very, it's a very an American approach. Yeah. Right? So, uh, that's what I was saying. I saw it different from the research, right? So, I try to think globally, with my, you know, background and missions and things like that. And so for if you're 40,000 and above, you're in the top 16% in the world. I just went back and looked at it. So for me, I go, ah, that's 95% probably of Americans. Mm-hmm. But of the world, I don't even think, you know, going to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, most of the world can't self-actualize, like think about purpose and work and all these things that are normal to Americans and us in this top 7 to 16% because their physiological needs just aren't met. And so I find myself asking a question, you know, because I grew up in poverty and I'm, I'm reading this and I go, could my mom read this? Could I have read this? Like... Mm. Can my friend Abba in South Africa, can he read this? Can Shanika, who's trying to get her five kids back from her widowed mother-in-law, and she just has to work. She can't think of, like... So it was, like, when I was looking at that, I was like, well, I mean, from the ideal people who can think without pressure, maybe. Right, right. And the demographics, too, you know, in the beginning are middle-class Americans, Mm -hmm. which again, to what you're saying, is the top percentage of in uh, in the world. Was that a choice? Like, was that like this is where we are? We just gonna? I was curious. It's like you know when you send out surveys to all the people who who get who has time to respond. Poor people don't got time. (laughs) They don't. You're working too hard. You're doing all the things. Like you're not going to. It's it's the responders. So in general, it ended up being mostly a middle-class response. Mm -hmm. So when you see that though, I mean, you're thinking most of the world doesn't have this choice. It's not a question that they can It's not in their brain. Right. And I will put myself in that, what I'm about to say. It's a question of privilege. Then it's a question of natural, naturalness, like oxygen. Like, so I think we have the privilege to think of love, work, purpose, Like that's a, and I, and it's so normal for us because we move with each other. I don't think we realize the uh, gym is, it's a gym to be able to think in that way. 
So I could see in that circle of people, yeah, I can see this. I mean, that's the American dream. It should be 95. It should be 1,000%. Like, that really is the American dream. Why, why, why would somebody say otherwise? Like, I wasn't surprised at this time. I'm like, of course. Right. And also <laughs> with that, it equates like, you know, one plus one plus one, those three categories equates happiness, right? Which is America's obsession, right? Like we are obsessed and addicted to happiness. Exactly. And so if all these three things align, you know, equal sign happiness, then that's American. That's American dream. That's all of that too. And I should achieve it. Yes, of course. Also, that's what I'm taught. Like, we're not taught anything else in America. I mean, just think about the premise. Like what you're saying, one plus one plus one. And I don't see any commercials like, man, you may not get that dream. <laughs> <laughs> Here's plan C. You know, like, <laughs> that's not our fabric. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So how would you approach this tension differently then? I would just put, if, if, if it was just me, y'all said y'all reading it, reading back through yeah. it. Yeah. I would write, you know, they come out with second editions. Oh. Love, work, and hope despite. Like if there, if, how can you find hope if you cannot have the privilege to think through these things? Because what I feel like the underlying thing that and I know of y'all is hope despite. Right. And so if that was just infused in there, I think that would, it will corral more people and have more of a richer discussion. You sound like you itching over here. Yeah, I was just thinking about this concept of like the dream of what it could be versus what it really is. And I think that's what's striking to me about this the statistic is like nobody wants to talk about what it really is. Nobody wants to talk about the hard stuff. Nobody wants to talk about what privilege can, like the weapon of privilege. Like as much as I am an optimist, I also like, I'm really interested in realism and like what's beneath the surface of that dream or that hope or that message we're being given that oftentimes isn't even true, isn't even rooted in reality. And so I think that's the part. It's like, maybe I was just disappointed, not surprised because I want somebody to be like, yo, this is hard. You know, I want somebody to be like, oh, this is real. Like it's not possible because of X or Y or Z. So I think that was the angle that I was coming from, which is 50% of marriages aren't working out, but 100% of people are saying, oh, they can work out. It's like, where's the disconnect there in, in what's really happening versus what we hope could happen? I don't know. Well, when you walk down the so, aisle on your wedding day, did you think there's a 50% chance this is not going to happen? Did you? I mean, that's yeah, what that's, I'm saying. It's like, it's like we a, walk down the aisle with that hope, right? with that idea, but yet the reality of it is still true. So if you had a 50% chance of a surgery working or not working, mm -hmm. I'm in medicine. That's what I do. I'd be like, don't do it. <laughs> There's only 50% chance. You shouldn't put your body through that. You shouldn't put your life through that unless you got 70 or plus percent chance that this going to work out. But yet we all sitting here married and saying, that we're going to beat the odds and we're going to do it. But I think what do y'all think about are, that? that? Some people are, I hate to use this word, coming off of marriage. But <laughs> sometimes it could be about desperation with the surgery. You know, if somebody's like, yo, you only got blah, blah, blah. And this is like, hey, give it to me. Because right now I got a 100% chance I'm going to die tomorrow. But I think what marriage, I think it's innate in us 
to have a hope to beat the odds. And, and and I think that that's what allows us to do great things, you know? I mean, that's, that's, that's as old as biblical in American history. But to me, that's different. Like, if y'all asked 1,500 people or whatever it was, 1,500 couples on their wedding day, right? <laughs> is it possible? And you got 95%, I'd be like, duh. I'd actually be surprised if it wasn't 100% right. then. This right. is not. But you, but yeah, you guys are with asked kids. in the middle yeah. of this is with the kids. work. Yeah. You know? And so that's the part that's like, I feel like, I have a very healthy situation with my family yeah. currently. And I'm still like not a hundred percent sure I can answer that question. Well, this was like, yes, definitely. Here's what here's why I think people put 95%. Right. I would go more subconscious than conscious. So I made a note. You talked about the mundane, the cleaning the house and things like that. And I was doing a study on this word mundane, which is odd that I was doing the study and use that word. Mundane actually has two definitions, which I didn't know, right? So the traditional definition is lacking in interest or excitement, dull. But then the other one, this is Oxford. So it's not a religious definition I'm about to read. This is Oxford definition. It says mundane of this earthly world rather than a heavenly or spiritual one. And then it says the boundaries of this mundane world. And so I was like, oh, sometimes we're convinced that even the work that we put into our children doesn't have spiritual, right? Do you see what I'm saying? Like, it's almost like that's an ideology that's put around us that if you're not doing something specific or great or attacking a mountain, which those things can be exciting, but flip it on its head, you can win all the awards in this world and live a mundane life. Because you're only focused on the boundaries. You see, you see what I'm saying? I, and that, that was just kind of profound that I think a lot of people struggle with the position of purpose can equal the exciting thing versus knowing that, hey, this is going to have some far-reaching thing. Even if I'm just like Michelle Obama's dad who worked a hard factory job, but his purpose was, I'm going to set up my daughter do you see what I'm saying? 100%. So I, I actually, in my head, I'm like, yeah. it's not Monday. Yeah. And I think this is a tension that my wife and I have in answering this question some is like, I think the purpose can be the mundane or like, like, it, the, like, and then if, if we can dig into that a little bit, like, I think it opens up the opportunity for us to talk a lot more about what you were saying earlier. Like, hey, you don't have to have privilege to be able to answer this question. If we can get to like, oh, purpose is not necessarily like, how many followers you have, whose life you saved, what business you built, like, you know, becoming the president. Purpose is like, yo, our family was healthy, both physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And we raised some children that love each other and are contributing to society. Like, that's purpose, you know? And it's, there's tension there because I get it. Like, and there's tension too because our society turned that thing backwards and said, hey, hey, the woman should go do that. Exactly. Right? And that's yeah. not what I'm saying at all. I'm just saying like, hey, purpose can be the, these things that are much more mundane and not celebrated culturally. As well. what's, it, what's interesting in the developing world, though, if we would have expanded this research across the world, which have been extremely difficult, one thing I think we would have to unpack in, the mat, in that equation is the reality in the developing world, most women are actually providing for the family 
and doing everything to raise those kids. And most men are nowhere to be found. I mean, that's the majority of the developing world storyline. So it would have been such a, such a very different framework to try to find a baseline for agreement. So it would have been, it would have been challenging. I'm curious what other stats really jumped out to the two of you. I got one, which was uh, 39% of people don't have any help whatsoever. It was surprising to me. What? Yeah. Because, uh, well, if the statistics true about every, like this chart that shows what you guys considered help, it's like everybody does their own car work and they do, you know, all of their own. It, yeah. It was just surprising to me that 40% of people, it's not necessarily like a money thing. They're not spending money on it, but that you're raising kids, you have two jobs and you do everything. Like some stuff must be getting left out if you hadn't tried to get more efficient. What jumped out? Because again, I was seeing it from a different standpoint. I don't know if I was like staggered by anything, but within the this line where it says we need help and about 60% of couples interview did use some kind of outside help, which is reassuring. However, 39% said they don't have any outside help. That was interesting, that juxtaposition, because one of the things that I've been telling to my parents, you know, both mom and dad, just haven't been around, specifically with the grandkids. I was telling them, I go, it's not normal for us to shoulder everything. Like that's this this whole nuclear family that we don't have like aunts, uncles, grandparents. I go, that's that's a strain and, and we feel the strain. But a lot of us, I know that's how I grew up. Like so it it was just it was just interesting in the sense of what is the aim? Who defines what health is? Do we lack some earthly muscle that the other generations may have had? Or were they more communal and we're so individualistic and so we're kind of self-wounding ourselves, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, I think thoughts? it started with a village mentality, right? I mean, we started in villages and packs and all of that. And that's how, you know, kids were raised with all the mamas and all the, you know, in, in the little village. So I think that's probably the roots of it until you move on to the great American way, which is so individualistic and so nuclear and all of that. You had, I was curious, you had a thought earlier where he was talking purpose isn't greatness. I thought that was a, like a double click. I don't think that's talked about enough. It's the opposite. That purpose is greatness. I was just curious of you. Oh, I meant that it doesn't have to equal greatness in the sense of what the world yeah. defines as greatness. Yeah. yeah. But definitely. Which is good. Yeah. But definitely in the sense of like, I think, I, I think it's interesting because I think greatness or purpose is probably going to be defined very differently by every single person. So especially from your family of origin and where you come from. And so somebody whose family of origin might have been very abusive, their next goal is just like, I don't want to abuse my kids. That's it. So greatness to them and purpose is like, who cares how these kids turn out? But like, I didn't, I didn't hit them and beat them and abuse them. And in a sense, you already progressed further along than what was happened to you. Right. So there that's you go. My, that's part of my story is my dad came from this lineage of verbal and physical abuse. 
and basically was the one that was like, I'm not going to, I'm going to try really hard to not do that to my kids. And in addition, he got out of the small town where everybody was and got stuck. So he did two things. He got, he got out of that cycle of just, yeah, being in this kind of social insulated entrapment. And then he also was like, I'm not going to carry all that abuse I received to my kids. And my brother and I reaped all of the benefits of that purpose in his life, you know, in every way, physically, emotionally. And it wasn't, he had anger issues. He had his own things. Like there's things that we had to work through as his sons, but it was, you know, knowing my, you know, my grandfather, my great grandfather and the lineage and everything. It's like, he gifted my brother and I opportunities that we did not deserve, nor would we have had otherwise if he hadn't taken that on. But the world would never define that as purpose or great, right? Which is so. Yes. Really sad. Yeah. But that's, I think, at the core, it'd be interesting. We didn't have this in our research. It would be interesting in hindsight for us to ask questions around, hey, your choices in life today, how is that been dramatically impacted by your origin story, right? Like you're working. Was that, was your mom working? Was your dad working? If you, you know, like you're trying to stay married, was your mom, were they married? You know, how did all these things affect today? And, and, and in, in truth for Andre and I, our probably root issue is like, we value our kids deeply seeing both of us working and we want to instill that in our kids. Now, not everyone has that same belief or they, they view things differently, but we think like at a core, like we want our daughter to be able to believe that she can do anything. And so what does that mean? She needs to see Andre doing this. There's like a, there's a core principle and value within us. Now you, you're Based challenging. Based on family of origin. Based yeah. on our family of origin. Exactly. Yeah. And everybody's would be different then. For sure. All right. So a big thing in the research came out, and I know this oftentimes comes out, is just the lack of health that all of this affects. It affects the individual. Did anything stick with you guys related to, to that tension? You're talking about like self-care? Like the personal health yeah. aspects. Or do you even feel that yourself? You know, I think, I think health, uh, personal aspects, one to another. I, I, I do think it goes back to origin story. So... Part of me wasn't surprised because there, to me, it feels like subjectively speaking, but speaking somewhat imperative, it feels like people value an esteem or recognition or building at the expense of their bodies. Like that's, that's a value system. Um, and then in, in talk with my wife, you get in certain religious circles, there's also a value to demean your body at the expense or to uplift the family. So you sacrifice your body for the family and it's, and it's held as this great thing. And so for me, I, I reject both. I go, God gave us a body just like he gave us taste buds. So some things taste nasty. Don't eat it. <laughs> right? It's, and some things just aren't healthy for you. Now, maybe I'm an athlete, so I maintain that and things like that. But yeah, I think it's value proposition and, and, and what we're being convinced of is better than other. Is that a struggle for you at all, Jonathan? Just, I know you're like, just in life, like you're busy with work, you're busy, you've got Let's be honest, everybody. He has 87 kids. Seven, (laughs) 
seven <laughs> children. You are very busy. Is that something that has been a struggle or that you feel the exhaustion, the either or like the sacrificing the personal yeah. health or what is what has that been I don't for think you? I've ever thought about it as sacrifice. And I do think Cal and I both when we really get deep into it, we understand this idea of like purpose in the mundane. And I wouldn't call raising kids mundane, but like this, this idea that, and I talk about it publicly all the time. I'm never going to do anything in my life that's more important than send my seven kids out into the world. I just, I'm not. And so, and Cal and I do at our core, there's all these other things we're doing. There's all these other things we want to be impactful in and have, you know, and whatever, you know, purpose looks like in making our community and our city better. And, in our professions and whatever, but like that, we're both kind of dialed into that. So, so the exhaustion that we do both suffer from consistently, I don't know that I feel that it's ever like sacrificing, even if it was, even if I did have data that said, oh, it's taking this toll on your body physically, I would say, oh, it's worth it. You know, so that I don't struggle with that as much. I think the mental health piece is one that we have to pay closer attention to, like where the physical exhaustion and the mental and emotional demands of our family, um, like push us into, into, you know, deeper and darker corners that we're maybe not as familiar with or comfortable with. I think those are places that we have to be very careful to not slide off the edge. And so, I mean, whatever that means. Yeah. I mean, in our research, 59% of the people were not very satisfied with their emotional and mental health. And this was, this research was done four years ago. So think about how that has pre-pandemic. It's got to be much higher now. Yeah. Absolutely. And so I think that's that is for sure. Only It's not surprising to me, but like the 8% of people, only 8% of families are seeking any sort of professional mental health. It's a very privileged part. It's really hard. It is. Yeah, it is. But also I think just like being like, that's where all the damage is done, in my opinion. Like physical health, like you it's so much easier to kind of work through and, and glaze over. Like when your mental health deteriorates because of whatever's going on, like that's where the real eroding of, you know, family and intimate relationships comes in. So it's just interesting. All right, let's move on to chapter four, the three love stories. The first being finding the love of your life, which I found mine, even though she didn't agree with me at first. And then... Uh, anyway, these three love stories. I'm curious uh, for the two of you, what really connected with you or what didn't connect with you? What did you disagree with? We love the disagreements. I would say there was a lot of uh, beautiful ideals. So the, the one conversation that stuck out, I was like, that's a beautiful ideal. That's not for most people. Was your ability to say to him, I make more money than you. You, you don't need to focus on it. And I go to... <laughs> That's a, in my head, I go, that's a beautiful idea. Like the fact that you can say that to him and free him from doing something that may be laborious and, and, and have these conversations with him. Um, I just would have liked to see an expanse. What about the person that doesn't have that beautiful ideal? How do they wrestle in hope? You know what I'm saying? Cause some, like you made, you made a statement in there. I was like, bro, that's kind of. That's kind of old school imperative where you said many people can find work, but finding purpose takes courage. I was like, that I kind of winced at that because it's so direct to say it feels like if you're not doing this, then you're not courageous. 
And there's so many people who are being courageous, going back to Michelle Obama's father, my mother, who they're like, look, I don't have an ideal. And Superman ain't coming. You know what I'm saying? So when I say the beautiful idea, I'm like, man, that's glorious. Praise God for that. But that's the top 7%. So that, that was kind of things that jumped out initially. Oh, but, on, but only if we're saying that your purpose has to be found in your work, right? Or in your, like, because I feel like, I mean, going back, if we're going to use Michelle Obama's dad as like the main kind of <laughs> we just metaphor keep to carry back. through. Like, maybe he did, ha- maybe, maybe he did have purpose. Not necessarily in showing up to the factory job that kicked his butt, but purpose in. Being a dad, purpose in being a good neighbor, purpose in doing whatever he did in his neighborhood and his community. I feel like there's still opportunity for us to like redefine or 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 cast a larger net around this idea of purpose and calling. Mm-hmm. Totally. Even even for people who don't have privilege. But yeah. right? well, it's more yeah. coming from the standpoint of if a person cannot connect cerebrally yeah. that I'm finding my purpose. This is just me. I grew up in a hard working town, Detroit, Michigan. Right. So Detroit, Cleveland, Pittsburgh, these are all places like we're not thinking of purpose. We're yeah. thinking of this is this is just my lot. So if by default my lot sets up my daughter, praise God. But I'm just saying that just even able to think of words and definitions the yeah. way that we can, it's yeah. at the top of what Maslow says, his hierarchy. It. Yeah. I'm I'm more comfortable that standpoint. Yeah, I get it. I also, I, I mean, I agree with that. I think that there's this privilege of even dreaming, right? Like we were pretty poor and all the things too. And it was really just like, can we pay the bills for this month? Can we make it through this month? Are we going to like all those things? And so the privilege to then be like, oh, let's dream of what could be and what, you know, like is feels uh, Let me get you a real, over, over. Real over than what you can actually do. Let me give you something real. That, yeah. that will connect with what you're saying. So I'm talking to my dad yesterday about this. And I was like, I said, bro, you left when I was 12. That's, that's when a boy needs you the most. And, and his response was, he was like, wrongfully, I left because I was trying to find who I was. And then I told him, I said, so for 12 up into, I'm about to be 42, I said, all I've known you to be is a person that looks out for yourself. I've never known you to be a person who who looks out for the needs of others. This is three decades. And I go, I go, Dad, if I took your philosophy, I would have left my kids a long time ago. So when I when I talk about like when you say, you know, it's a privilege to dream, and then even talking about like purpose and things like that, I'm like, yeah, my dad trying to find himself, his purpose or whatever, whatever you want to call it. He is like, yeah, it's, it's worth leaving these three kids. In the and in my head, I go, no, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I totally disagree with that. Like, you know, like, and maybe I'm coming from a different value system and people are like, oh, you do you. And, and it's like, nah, I, I just reject that at the end of the day. Yeah, but the historically, most of the heroes that we acknowledge are the greatest humanitarian heroes. Did it at the neglect of their children, right? I would couch that in, and we and we celebrate a history them. that you may not. I wouldn't. I I can't. I wouldn't be able to say like most. Like that's a a grandiose. It's almost like saying in marriage, like, "Hey, you always yell at me." But that's the tension. People say like, <laughs> people say like, well, for the sake of the mission, for the sake of the calling, for the sake of the purpose, they have done this. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying that we historically have celebrated that and they don't tell the story. That's why we went on this adventure. And it's interesting. I hear what you, I hear you pushing back on what I said 
And I appreciate that. And I think that's part of your story, which I really acknowledge. I do think, though, that especially in the American culture, which is where we are, this is where the conversation is, at this moment in time, which is called the Great Resignation, that more than ever, people are actually putting this equation into their choices at a rate of 40, 60% of the entire population is changing their jobs because they're not finding purpose. And it's not just the rich. It's not. It's everyone because there's a lot of, a, there's a lack of workers for the jobs, right? But so, your stats are, are, didn't include those below the poverty line. So if we're going just based off of your stats, the conversation yeah. has to be who y'all interview. So sure. you, you can't say it's just, it's not just the rich. I go, well, your stats say it was more the middle, upper middle class. So mm -hmm. for me, I'm just saying you wouldn't interview my mom and my aunts and my uncles and the host of people in Detroit. So you, it's, you can't really speak on that. It's conjecture because you don't have the stats on that is what I'm saying. That would be disingenuous to, to make that statement of, hey, it's the poor as well. I'm like, ah, oh, you didn't. You didn't talk to them. And we did set that up in the beginning mm -hmm. to just really make sure that people understood that in the sense of like, this is who we interviewed for sure. Yeah. And I, I'm saying I received that, but it has to be couched in that, like even this statement, like I would, I would consider y'all as like open-minded sure. folks, but there's some statements that I'm like, yo, that feels so like narrow and boxed in, like... And, and it just makes me wince because I go, isn't that the, the tradition we struggle with coming out of? Like when you're like, man, it is this and people are this and everybody is this and it equals this. And I'm like, man, bro, like I've seen y'all's wrestles with that. Yeah. And do so are now we turning around and putting that on people and say, maybe it's purpose. Maybe, maybe it's the American dream. But I would say most of the people going back to what you say, Andre, most of the people that I grew up around, if you come to them saying, hey, what are your dreams? They would look at like, what do you mean dream? And it's like, I remember reading the poem, like, dream don't live around here. So it's, it's just more like taking that, that mindset into consideration and go, bro, I don't have time to dream. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, that person wouldn't be reading this book either, right? I mean, I think that's the, also the reality of like, in some sense, I think when you, <laughs> this is the part about a book and having something so concrete written down that lasts forever now, it's terrifying because you're sitting there and you can only choose an audience that's right now, that's who you're speaking to in that. And then you have to just talk to that audience only. And also, to be honest, the audience that we know, which would be right now of who we know and the people we interviewed in this and in our podcast, which would generally be middle class and more. So that's what I hate about how it's so concrete because you're right. It doesn't speak to the whole at all. Like it doesn't. And that's terrifying to have permanently stamped. <laughs> so in your philosophy, if we play this out, would you believe that people that are 
below the middle class category don't think about or consider purpose in their life? Uh, it, might, it just, again, subjectively speaking and considering the research of people smarter than myself, I think it's more proven that they would love that ideal. Mm. They would love that ideal. But I'm literally, I'm thinking of many situations in my head that I'm in trying to help people navigate. If I came there, I was like, man, what, what do you feel like your person? Like, <laughs> Bro, like, I'm trying to make sure my kids don't get taken away. That's Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So I was just saying, if we look at like purpose and work, it really is at the top of this pyramid. And I'm more saying it's great, but couch it to where if my friend who's trying to fight for a kid, she doesn't feel shame to say like, yo, if I'm not freed up to think this way, is something off with me? Do I got to shuffle some things around? You know, it, it, it's more of that. It's more of me thinking from a, you know, a pastoral lens of thinking of the nuances that people may be in and, and that they could feel shame that, you know, like I, I, I talk to women. And, and so it's like, yo, if I ain't making money to tell my husband he could, is this something awful? Do I need to go back to school? I'm, I'm more coming from that vantage point, not just this come down on this, like, it's like the pastor saying, I heard pastor, hey, if you don't get up at 5 a.m. and you ain't reading, you see what I'm saying? It, 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 that you, do you love the Lord? <laughs> Jonathan, you've got something in your yeah, head I'm brewing. Saying, I mean, I, I, well, first of all, I don't think that, I, I don't read this as prescriptive. So the idea of that story to me is just like, oh, this is just what happened to us. It's not like this is a prescriptive story of, like everyone should be able to have the opportunity to say, I can just quit and chase my dream. Like that wouldn't be genuine. If that concept was prescriptive in this book or just in this conversation that like all of us should just, in, in the same way, I actually love the example you just brought up, in the same way that somebody would say, the only way to be successful is to not sleep and to get up at 5 a.m. and to read six books before you go to work, like, and to go to the gym for two hours, like that's dumb, you know? And I, so I, I didn't read it that way necessarily I, I i read it more just like hey this was our situation that informed our ideas that helped me to get to my purpose and that purpose happened to become my work too i mean y'all don't say that in here but i think there's a nuance there that maybe should have come out like that my purpose was my work but it doesn't but purpose is this larger thing we've been talking about than than just my occupation so i mean that's yeah i just i, I read it a little differently in in that regard i was thinking about that story when I, and there's a little bit of a twist on, on what we we're just talking about. When I started, decided that I wanted to get my real estate license and go into real estate, which I would say is not my purpose. Like if you ask me what my purpose in life is, I'm not telling you real estate, even though that's the business I've built, the career that I have, the success that I've made, I would never lead with, you know, real estate is my purpose or sales or whatever else. But when I decided to get my real estate license, we sat down at the table we were like, how can we do this? How can we pay bills? How can we make everything function? How can our family move forward? And Callie didn't make a ton of money, but she did have a job. And so we sat down and we were like, can we live off of what you make? And we put this plan together and we we're like, for three years, we're going to live off of what you make. And it was, it was very strategic and very intentional and, and sacrificial on some level. And we did have the privilege of being in a position where we didn't have all these other anchors of debt and things that some people have to where we were very clean financially at that 
as mid 20 year olds. But that gave me a chance to like chase this thing that turned to this other thing, you know? Mm-hmm. So I fully recognize the privilege that we had in that. It goes all the way back to our parents setting us up to where we didn't have debt when we came out of college to where we, right? right. It's like There's all these things that put us things. in this position where when I was able to be like, I'm going to chase this thing and I don't have to make money. And I had that opportunity. Um, but there was also this other thing of like, we're willing to like sacrifice, set up a very strategic plan, put the effort in and was like a combination of both of those that got us into that place. So I don't know. Transitional a little bit to your partners and this idea kind of that Jeff laid out about like seeing your partner falling in love with them, but then also falling in love like with your partner's kind of purpose or their, your partner's dreams and helping them and encouraging them. How has that been a journey for you? Has that been struggles? Has that been, you know, like your partner has no clue and you don't know what to do? You know, like what has that been like for you all in your journey with your spouses? So me and my wife, uh, Don Toya, we met in a very religious Texas subculture. (laughs) And um, so highly patriarchal, chauvinistic, and... Oddly enough, my background wasn't that. Like women led 70% of the leadership positions in Detroit were by women. So it was odd to be in that subculture. So for me, um, her growing up in the South and things like that, we had to get to a point to where I go, yeah, I met you here, but I don't, I don't hold to this. Right. I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm here. <laughs> like I'm here, but that's not what's ingrained in me. You know, and so from my standpoint, um, I believe that my purpose is always when it comes to our relationship and knowing her story is to make room for her. So if you want to try something, fella, go try it. Like you want to buy that, go buy it. She's the person that moved, what, 16 times in 16 years before she graduated high school. Uh, lived in a, I think it was a 500 square foot, foot spot with 14 people you know, roach infested, things like that. So for me, I'm like, if I I can provide her a home, I think that shows her something different that she's never realized. Um, If if we could put finances aside and I'm not like, you know, as a one, you can be micromanaging, but I go, no, you oversee the budget, you spend, if you go over, we went over. But it's not me coming. So it's it's that idea to make room. And I feel you know, and, you know, with her doing counseling and things like that, she, she openly said, it took me a minute to believe this. To believe what? That I really was trying to make room, that I wasn't like. Gotcha. To believe you that you were saying you yeah, can have like, equality in this yeah, situation. And I'm not, and I'm not thinking yeah. this has to align yeah. with me. That's like, Because yeah. I, I go, well, what do you think? She was like, well, I know the man's supposed to, I go, supposed to have what? I go, I got my thoughts, you got your thoughts. What are your thoughts? What do you want to do? Try, try, do it. Nope. What does that mean to make room? I would say in, again, the religious space that we met in, it was assumed that the guy's calling or purpose or passions crowded out, I'm using that intentionally, crowded out the direction of where the family was supposed to go. So for me, when I say make room, I go, no, I I think we're equals on this. And, And maybe after really reduce myself because you're so traumatized. Like, no, it's always a guy. It's always a guy. It's always a guy. And I was like, nah, I'm going to shift hard. 
So I think w- what it means to make room is it's not like, hey, if you have thoughts, sure, you can share them. It goes, what do you think we should do? So when you first said make room, I felt like you were saying you you got 75% of the house. Yeah, I was and thinking you're that's gonna what I took And you're going to open a too. little bedroom door and have her oh, have okay. 25%. But you mean, <laughs> you mean... <laughs> You mean shared partnership is what you mean. Yeah, shared and more and more on paper, people would think that it's more in her favor. So when I, yeah, so when I, maybe a better uh, language could be, I believe my purpose is to give her the keys. Yeah. So I'm like, you got the keys. I trust you. Even that idea of what you just said, like my purpose is in to be in this relationship and to elevate the other person. I think even just that is like an interesting thing to unpack some in the context of conversation is like, just again, going back to, and I'm not saying like a part of the conversation has to be about career, community impact, et cetera. But like, there's this other thing that's happening. It's like, when you say, is it, is it possible to fall in love, raise a healthy family and, you know, and change the world? It's like, dude, changing the world, that's changing the world. What you just said, like, I'm going to I'm going to deconstruct this really bad kind of toxic social norm that my wife grew up in. I'm going to put her in a much healthier place. I'm going to elevate her up to where we collectively and her individually can be great. It's like that's purpose, you know. So, and that changes the world and you know. So, what about you, Jonathan? This is a very complex chapter. Kyle and I have a very complex story because couple of things. We grew up in similar context, especially me. I grew up in deep, deep, deep Southern Baptist culture. And this idea of, I'm very similar to what Adam was talking about, where it's like, there's a patriarchy that kind of frames everything. It frames a lot of physical action. It frames emotional action. It frames vision and mission and everything else. Um, we fortunately, I think, entered into our marriage having already a lot, especially the physical confines of that, kind of like getting rid of. And part of that was because Callie had a very distinct, very specific calling in her life. Since she was 12 years old, she was enamored by pregnant women and the birthing process. And she knew with everything that she was that she wanted to be a midwife. And so when we got married and, and so, but we're dating, I'm, I find out very quickly about this passion and this, I mean, it is, it's a deep rooted calling that she had as a, as a child that was then as a teenager, that then was what she did in college. And and we dated and got married early. So we got married while she was still an undergrad. But the plan was like, our plan when we got married, I was playing music and was an artist just traveling. Our plan was she was going to go straight to grad school, get her midwifery degree. She was going to become a midwife. That's what we were doing. And I, there were points the first three years we were married that I was like, I could be totally cool staying home and raising our kids. The physical, we were like, we don't need those physical roles. There's no boundaries. We're both working this together. We're, we're in each other's corner. We're doing this thing. Well, like life changed in a bunch of different ways. And uh, we had our first son way earlier than they thought we thought we would. And um, she didn't go straight to midwifery school. She instead became an, a nurse and was an amazing labor and delivery nurse um, for about seven or eight years in our, in our early marriage. And then this career, and I was playing music and doing all these other random things. And probably the first seven or eight years of our marriage, I still thought like she's going to be a midwife. I'm going to support her in that and I'm going to do whatever else it is that I can figure out how to do. And then this career thing opened up for me to do real estate and it took off. And then eventually there came a place where it was like, and then we also had, you know, we're on this journey to seven kids 
and around kid three and my career and business taking off, there was this thing where it was like, I think you're going to have to stay home. I don't, not only are you not going to be a midwife, and this was not me saying this to her. This was us as a family kind of coming to the conclusion. Not only are you not going to be a midwife, but you're not even going to be a labor and delivery nurse for this season. And, and we had to walk through that together where it was like, all right, I'm doing this thing. And she was wholly supportive of me once it took, once the real estate thing started to take off, but at the expense of her own calling and purpose in terms of what she put her hands on with work that she had had since she was 12. Yes. Yeah. And that's still a tension for us. There was a there was a significant tension for three or four years where it was like she lost a piece of her identity that she needed to figure out. Um, and she still has a nursing license. I mean, she still keeps up all her stuff because she's like, at some point, I don't know, I may want to do this. Well, and then that season, so, when you said a season, ended up being pretty long because yeah. of the amount of children that... Well, we of, have seven children, 14 to two years old. So right. yeah, at the point, this was... So this was eight years ago that we were right. going through that. Yeah. And eight years later, we still have a baby in our house. Right. So and, it and just like kind of, lengthened and right. lengthened it, and it lengthened. It grew into the thing where it's like, oh, my purpose is wholly something different. Or yeah. part of my purpose is wholly something different. Yeah. Um, and so so I read this. Yeah. How does it make that make you feel? It doesn't make me feel good. Because I'm like, am I, or we, or I, I don't know, like, Am I not trying hard enough mm-hmm. to free her up? Mm-hmm. It, it may not even be midwifery or nursing, but yeah, am I not trying hard enough to free her up mm-hmm. for whatever it is that is the dream that got buried way back deep inside? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and we're f- both fully and wholly confident about our family yeah. and our children and where yeah. we're heading collectively. Yeah, and the and the beauty and the brilliance of that. Like we're yeah. both 100% fully committed to that. Right. But it doesn't mean that there isn't still room for this other thing. Right. It just isn't getting excavated. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So there's a, yeah, there's a tension there. So you said it didn't make you feel good. Yeah. I mean, I just think, I mean, it'd be interesting to hear Callie's thoughts mm-hmm. on me saying this I, when it comes out. I'll tell you guys what she says. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. A part two like, with the conversation yeah, with the spouse. It doesn't feel good. Like, oh, am I missing? Am I so busy? So consumed, so committed to dad and husband and, and, you know, business owner that I'm leaving out this thing that might need to be excavated. And I might not be, maybe that, maybe that's coming, you know, in the next season of life, but it does make me question like, what's my role in that? Like, what's my role in helping my wife excavate whatever there is that might be there? I think it's a good question regardless. I mean... I'm sad that it made you feel bad. It's like not the purpose. I mean, not yeah. But the it, purpose. I wasn't like crying in my bed. I feel, like, I feel like listen. I feel like the reviews of our book right now are just not too great. Going down. These two guys. Right? I invited you guys. Come on, give me a break. I'm just kidding. No, it's interesting. Like, <laughs> what's fascinating about writing something, right? Is the minute you write it, you know it's going to impact someone. They're either going to agree with it. They're going to disagree. They're going to challenge the premise. They're going to be personally challenged by it. It's like, you have to state something. This is what's whenever you write, I mean, you're the same, Adam, you've written things and I'm sure everybody doesn't agree with everything you wrote. Right. No. <laughs> and you put it out there and then this is like, this is why as authors, you don't read reviews on Amazon. Right. It's like everyone, gives, because I'm coming from my storyline. 
you know, and I'm sharing my life experience, trying to integrate the research we did, but really it's like, it's our story, you know, and you guys have your own stories and that plays out. And I'm like that, but that's also why what's interesting is most partners, most couples do not take the time to unpack anyone else's story to get closer to their own. <laughs> like, I think that is the common, it's like, I don't, I didn't write this to make you feel bad about whatever. Like I, that's not obviously what I, and it's like, but yeah, you start reading this and you start applying something to your own story and you go, what do I agree with? What do I disagree with? And what, how does that impact our relationship? How does that impact our kids? That's the, it's interesting hearing Adam talk about this premise through the lens of his dad and his story and his friends. And it's like, yeah, when I was writing that, I don't know that I thought about all that stuff. You know, I was writing my experience and which is limited, you know, it's just completely limited. But yet it hopefully as you read my limited story, it's like, okay, well, what do I think about this? You know, like, and what, what does, how does this impact our relationship? And so I was thinking about that for you. I was thinking about when you're sharing Jonathan, I'm like, well, like I want to justify my responses to you, Adam. And then when you're sharing, I'm like, I want to justify the right things you did. And then I want to justify myself in the, it's like, this is like the story of understanding yourself in the midst of this very, very challenging journey called love, yeah. you know? That's why I call it a beautiful ideal. Yeah. yeah. So I, I don't want that to be missed. I do yeah. think it's a beautiful ideal. Mm. I read and we read and, you know, it's, for me, it's reading other perspectives that are different than my own, like, which is why I haven't read the book again since just now, right? Is like, because I don't care about my perspective right now. I want to read other books and other stories that are not my own story. But in that, it's always eat the fish and spit out the bones, right? Like take the things that would be uh, impactful and that I just need to like digest and think about and relate it to our story and then spit out the rest. If I could bring it full circle back to what I, I said in the beginning about the 98 or being so surprised by the 98 or 94%, percent, 95%. Yeah. It's like, I think I'm so surprised because this is the reality of it. Like what that we're working, so hard. yes, what, <laughs> yeah. we're, what we're working through here is like, it can't, it is not prescriptive. It, it couldn't possibly be. And yet, like, and I think what's interesting about the particular story that Adam brought up where you're in the car and you say, because you also said, I don't care about money, right? So it wasn't just like, I make enough money. Mm -hmm. You also said, we can go broke. Like, we can go broke. I'd rather see you. Right, because be I've elevated, been, yeah. like be elevated into your mm. purpose, be elevated into fulfillment. Yeah, then, then us have money, yeah. right? And that's but beautiful. It is beautiful, but also it's like that's it that's more my, that's yeah. more descriptive, right? It's, so it's like there's a there's a distinctive story there, right? That, because that's my own that's right. story of origin yeah. and, in that sense, right? And, and so it is helpful, sense. but it is limited. Yeah, and this is a complex, a super complex concept that we're all trying to figure out how to get to the healthiest version of. Well, I would say that's freeing. That's relationally freeing to hear for me and my, my experience growing up with, um, you know, women, black women, obviously specifically 
And to be around women in the fashion industry where it's about things and acquisition and moving up. So the reason why I keep saying it's a beautiful ideal is, I'm like, does Jeff know how rare that is for a woman (laughs) to, you know what I'm saying? Like, because it could have easily been the golden handcuffs. Totally. I do care about money. (laughs) Right. No, bro. (laughs) You know, get your butt out there. You know, because I ain't trying to give up this Chanel and this Louis. You know? Right. So that's that's what's going through my mind. Like, bro, that's beautiful, dog. I don't know how much you didn't, you know, heat, you know, flesh and blood didn't really... And I and I have a piece of that in my story, and I don't think it's normal. Like Don Toya said, look, I'd rather you, I'd rather us go move in with my grandmother than you stay at this church to provide a lifestyle for this family. I I, I know plenty like friends who have wives. They would not say that. They wouldn't. Say that. <laughs> yeah, that's unusual. <laughs> Very unusual. I I mean I have a similar story. <laughs> really? Yeah. Where I one of the, I'm one of the biggest mistakes I made in the first three years of being in real estate that, that could have ended up being financially significant uh, devastation to us. Like it could have ended in a lawsuit and other things. I was in the middle of it and I was just non-responsive. I wasn't present because I was so consumed by it and wondering what would happen and I couldn't fix it. And Kylie pulled me in the room, in the kitchen one day, she's like, you got to stop this, number one. Like we can't have you just mindless out here not being with us. Number two, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? And so like, she was like, what? We get sued and we lose everything? So what? Right? And that, that confidence, like the confidence that Dontoya gave you in that moment, the confidence that Callie gave me in that moment, the confidence that you gave Jeff in that moment. I was like, that's the, that's like the purpose of this whole thing. It's like, can you have a marriage? Can you raise a family? Can you change the world? Like if, yeah, if, if you can be focused on like elevating your partner and making sure that your family is healthy, spiritually, emotionally, physically, it's like, then I can hundred percent say yes. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I think that's it. That's a good end right there. Are you good? Is there anything else you feel like we need to touch on? Need to no, say? I, I I just want you to know. I thought it's a, a a beautiful story, and <laughs> um, that really came across. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, we talked more Y'all's about intro the- can be like. Adam and Jonathan both lit the book on fire. <laughs> it is great. They're gonna have a go- they're gonna go have a burn party hey, when we're look, done. Delineation between stats and their story. Their story is beautiful. It is a beautiful ideal, and I think when I look at the relationship between y'all, bring a full circle to love and work to answer the question. I think if you can put yourself into the other person's shoes and to selflessly find joy in their joy you can't achieve this love and work. When I read what you said to him, it wasn't, to me, it wasn't just simply about Jeff. You found a joy in knowing in the future he will be set free. And I don't think a lot of people know that freedom in relationship. You see what I'm saying? Like, they're like, oh, I, gotta, I gotta be this way. I gotta dress this way. I gotta be this way. I gotta look this way. And that's not a, and I tell my wife all the time, I go, Look, just just from a body standpoint, I think it comes back. I go, you self you selflessly brought three kids into this world. I don't expect you to. Your body changes. That's the body I'm in love with. That frees her. Do you see what I'm saying? And I felt like she freed you. And, and obviously, knowing your story, there are times where you free her. And if you can do that, I do think you can achieve this love and work. Ooh, I like that story. We better keep that one, Matt. 
And now it's time for the breakdown. How are you feeling? How are you going to break this one down? (laughs) I think it's classic of we all read books from our own lenses and from our own perspectives. And when you have a different lens, a different worldview, a different family of origin, you're going to read a book a certain way. And you're going to see it in a different way. Absolutely. And um, I think your two friends have different lenses. Yeah, I think, you know, that concept of your family of origin and how that plays a role in this story is huge. And how it plays a role in your entire relationship is huge. This is like... And even with the purpose thing that we were talking about, right? How we were saying, like, based on your family of origin... Your purpose is going to look, your idea of purpose is going to look so different from somebody else's, Yeah, you know, and, and one is just, you know, like Jonathan, just stopping a cycle of abuse. That's it, Mm. you know, and then somebody else might be, you know, just making better money at a factory, you know, that their family didn't do before, you know, and another, you know, so I think everybody's viewpoint is so different. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And that matters in your relationship too, for sure. It does matter in your relationship too. I was thinking about Jonathan's evaluation of his own story with Callie, his wife. And, you know, whether I even agree with him or not or whatever, I I think there's something really beautiful that he was doing there is having this self-evaluation of, am I being an encourager of my partner's dreams. Mm. Like that premise is something that we can ask ourselves. Yeah. And I think that's our, always our goal. Like, so obviously this is our story from our lens, but our goal is to have everybody look at it from their own lens and then do their own self-evaluation. And we're hoping to not be prescriptive. We're hoping that you'll take it and then look at your own world in whatever way that looks like to you, but really actually self-evaluate ultimately. Yeah. Even whatever way that looks like. Yeah. Little things Adam talked about making, making, he, at first he said to make room for, and that I was like, oh, that's not going to rub you very good. Oh yeah. I was getting a little And then to hand over the keys is, is interesting. Like even the words that we say, how we say them, how it affects not only what you hear, what you do, your perspective. I mean, these are things that can be true. Oh, yeah. I know. My, like, feminist mindset was like, oh, boy, we're about to throw down. <laughs> but then he clarified. <laughs> and then he did the whole key thing. And I was like, I'm totally okay uh, with having the, the keys for the, the car. Keys. I am totally okay with the keys for the car, the keys for the house, the keys for the house. <laughs> so chapter three and four is about kind of the research we did and also unpacking this idea of purpose in your relationship, it's hard. It's a hard conversation. It, we've talked about this with a lot of people. Of it, it's it's a struggle. Some people don't even know how to how to dream. They don't know how to unpack this idea of purpose. How does purpose relate with your work? How does purpose relate with your relationship? Is purpose even something you can find? You know, these mm. are questions that everybody has, and they're coming at it from so many different angles. But it is something interesting to talk to your partner about. Yeah. It'll maybe uncover some new perspectives that you didn't have. It might release something and 
And even yeah. going back to family of origin, I think would be really good to do with your partner, right? Like what your family how they of, viewed this concept. how they viewed it, right? Because ultimately, that's kind of the lens that you start from. And you either agree with it or you're trying to fight against yes, it, whatever. But you that is. start with that because that's the only thing you know. Yeah. So it's ingrained in you. You just don't know it. So then it's either you know combating it or going with it. Mm -hmm. So I think that would be really interesting to go back and talk with your partner about. So. Wow. Well, we went. We went in. We, we told went, you we, we were going to have some divisive ones on some talks today. On we some, told with some you. people. We told you it was coming, and it came. And now we're moving on. <laughs> Next week we have some women that are going to join Next us. Next week it's the ladies. And that's another episode of Love, Love or Work. This episode was recorded by Matt Owen for Soul Graffiti Productions.